Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Miracle Morning community, it's me. Hey, uh, I want to offer a thought, a check-in, a shout-out. I don't always do this. And uh, I think it's a great reminder just to not ever take anything for granted. But our good buddy Hal, as many of you know, in the last year, has been uh, fighting for his health. And as many of you know, the great news is his prognosis after a year of rigorous chemo is he is on the positive end of things and there is no cancer in his body at the moment. All that being said, he actually happens to be like significantly under the weather right now. And because of what he's been through and all the things that come with that, I'm just putting it out there to ask you to send whatever positive vibes or energy you can Hal's way. That's my simple ask before we go into our conversation here. So that being said, welcome Achieve Your Goals podcast listeners. If you're watching on the live stream, that means you're watching. That means if we have any props, you get the benefit of seeing the props visually. If you're listening, drive safely, run fast, breathe deeply, whatever it is that you're doing listening. I'm glad to have you here. I'm totally pumped to get to have a chat today with Jason Gaynard. Jason, super great to have you, buddy. Thank you for having me. So Jason, I first heard about you and the work you were doing a few years ago. We've got a handful of mutual friends, Hal obviously being a big connection between us. Mm-hmm. And I, I heard about this event that you put on. And if I remember, I also want to like not give something away if this is meant to be a secret. So okay, how do I tell this without actually telling it? I'll put it this way. What I heard, and I heard this from Hal, I heard it, I'm sure, from John Rulin. I, I heard it from probably Brad Weimer. I don't know who else I heard it from. But that when they showed up to one of your events, known as Mastermind Talks, that the caliber and the quality of the people that were there, the way that you put on this event, and the level of attention to detail that you went to, to create a wow experience, I'll just say this, was at a level that they had never seen. And a couple of years went by before you and I then got connected. So it's been really cool to hear through others about this community that you've curated. I would love to have you share all about that and what's it all about and what are the lessons you've learned. And um, I thought to get to that, I'd love to go back a little bit in time because my understanding, and just correct me if I'm wrong here, but before it was this globally known mastermind community, you were hosting dinners And so I'd love to invite you, Jason, to just start wherever you want, go wherever you want. And, you know, what was the kind of the origin of this thing that has now become known as Mastermind Talks? So just to set the tone, I'm an open book, so there's no secrets. Uh, So feel free to to throw whatever you want at me. But uh, as far as how... I ended up in in the, I guess, the field of work uh, that I do, basically... Like most entrepreneurs, I was told to pick a business based on opportunity and proximity. Uh, how can I make the most amount of money as quickly as possible, given the skill set that I had? Um, I started a service-based business, uh, which was running errands for people. We had a personal concierge business. And our slogan was, if it was legal, moral, it would save you time, we'd take care of it. So mm-hmm. I did everything from 
picking people's grandparents up from the airport and buying their groceries and breaking up with people's girlfriends. I literally show up to somebody's house and be like, John no longer wants to date you, unfortunately. And walk away. <laughs> um, I do pretty much anything for, for 60 bucks an hour. And then but back then when people thought of the word concierge, they thought of a hotel concierge. And when uh, they thought of yeah. hotel concierge, they often thought of concert tickets. So people started to come to us for concert tickets and we were sourcing these tickets out through these big brokers who charge these huge, huge fees. And we weren't, we didn't feel too comfortable about it uh, because again, these, these were, they were just charging these exorbitant fees. So we started stocking our own little inventory to save our clients money. And ultimately people kept on coming back and coming back. Um, and we decided eventually to pivot into that business instead, uh, where after three years, we built the second largest ticket wholesale company, uh, in Canada. Um, and it was a good run. I mean, I, you know, I, I was living, I guess, the four hour work week, I guess you could say. I was traveling the world, making a ton of money, but with all that money and all that free time, I started to ask myself questions like, why am I here? Will I be remembered? How many people show up to my funeral? And I was not happy with the answers I was giving myself. And mm. also around that time, I realized I was earning 22 times the national average income. And in most business settings, that would be celebrated. But it was bothersome to me because I knew I was not 22 times happier than the average male. I was not 22 times healthier. Uh, three years prior, at the age of 23, uh, I had kidney complications because of stress. So I realized that money wow. and happiness scale very differently. Mm. And um, after seven years of being an entrepreneur, I discovered that I built a business I hated to enable me to buy things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. And I felt like I was stuck on that hamster wheel. And wow. ultimately, ultimately, the one thing uh, about me is once I have a certain level of awareness around something or I know a truth, I can't stay on that path. I have to make a decision right away. And most of my peers at the time were, were telling me you should stay in the business and sell it, which would have required me to stay in that business for another year or a year and a half in order to position it for sale. I just couldn't do it to myself. It was just soul crushing. Um, so ultimately, I decided to scale that business down to zero uh, with the goal of having a little bit of money left in the bank account to start something new. Unfortunately, I would say it's, it was the death of a thousand paper cuts. Um, there's a lot of factors why they kind of crashed and burned. One of them was one, as soon as I made that decision, I detached myself from the business and I had B players in the business who had C players under them. So it kind of cannibalized from the inside out. And ultimately, wow. while I was scaling down, um, two things happened that were beyond my control that landed me a quarter million dollars in debt, uh, in August of 2012. And that was, quote unquote, my rock bottom, um, financially, emotionally, spiritually, um, from a health perspective, I was just bankrupt on, on every level. And um, I didn't know what I was going to do next. I was just saying that when one door closes, another one opens, but it sucks to be stuck in the hallway. That was a very dark hallway for me at the time. Mm. And uh, a friend of mine posted on Facebook that they had a ticket to go see Seth Godin in New York. And I've always been a big fan of Seth's work, but never had an opportunity to see him live in person in a workshop setting. Um, so I decided to take advantage of it. Um, and I, I went to the workshop, didn't know what it was about. Turned out the theme of it was the connection economy and how there's huge value connecting like-minded individuals. And at the time, I felt very isolated as an entrepreneur. So I decided to start doing something called mastermind dinners, where I'd invite eight entrepreneurs out for dinner with the core focus of connecting them. 
And the first one I did, I almost canceled two hours prior because I'm like, nobody's going to see value in this. They're going to think I completely wasted their wasted their time. Um, but thankfully, the dinner turned out to be a big success. I mean, conversation just flowed for four and a half hours. And uh, it became clear to me that connecting people, being around that energy was uh, something I wanted to do to some capacity for the rest of my life. And not as a business, because I actually wasn't monetizing these dinners. I was paying for them out of pocket. Wow. And people thought, and rightly so, that that was crazy um, because I didn't know how I was going to make rent the following month. Um, but I was pretty sure I was going to have to declare bankruptcy. And my reasoning that was that the bank could take my car, they could take whatever measly assets I had left, but they couldn't take my relationships. Huh. Investing in relationships to me was the safest investment I could make. And to this day, I still believe it's the best investment I can make. Um, and uh, continued on with these dinners, then had an opportunity to do an event with Tim Ferriss that fell in my lap um, relatively. Uh, he was coming out with a book called The 4-Hour Chef. Um, and that was his third book. And about two, three weeks prior to the launch of that said book, he discovered that he was going to be banned from all retail distribution. Hmm. And the reason for that is because he was the first big name author to publish through Amazon and Barnes and Noble and the traditional kind of retail behemoths want to make an example out of him because Amazon was becoming too big of a, a player in the publishing space. Mm-hmm. So what he did being one of the best marketers I know, he created these book bundles that if you bought five books, you get additional resources. If you bought 20 books, maybe he'd do a webinar with you. He had this Hail Mary package that if you bought 4,000 books, he did two speaking engagements. And at the time, I thought of a friend of mine named Scott who does these big events in Canada. Um, and I said, I sent him an email. I said, dude, this is a great opportunity for you because you can easily move the books. And Tim's never spoken in Canada. The minute I click send on that email, I say, you know what? This is a great opportunity for anybody. So I ended up reaching out to Tim directly. Uh, and I told him I'd take the books. <laughs> nice. It was problematic uh, in the sense that I had to come up with $84,000 uh, in 72 hours. The books need to be purchased that week. Yeah. Um, I had never raised money before in my life. I built my business businesses in the past on credit cards. I was raised with the limiting be- or the belief system that you never ask anything from anyone, which I had to overcome really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that morning, I called three friends. The first friend I called said, sounds really interesting. Let's come back to me with numbers. And I'm like, I'll, I'll loop back with you. But in my head, I'm like, there's no way I'll loop back with you with numbers. I don't understand how this industry works. Uh, plus, I'm not like a numbers thinker as an entrepreneur. I have like a strong gut feeling around things, but I don't think in numbers. Um, but I'll like, let me, I was like, let me loop back with you. The second person said, sounds awesome. Let's start a business together 50-50. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. Uh, I have one more person to call. The third person I called said, come pick up a check tomorrow morning um, and didn't ask about really the business idea. Didn't, we didn't talk about repayment terms, any of that kind of stuff. I didn't keep him on the phone for too long. I didn't want him to change his mind. The following morning, I picked up that check. I sent the $84,000 to Tim and I knew I had to plan some kind of event in the next six months. Uh, ignorance, confidence, and hard work can go a long way when you're an entrepreneur sometimes. Um, and because of that, the event was very unconventional. It was actually much more similar to like a wedding than it was at a conference. And it's only because I didn't know the traditional ways of to do an event. I didn't know the rules. Um, so I didn't break those rules out of being a renegade. I, I, I broke them out of just ignorance. Uh, but that turned out to be one of the reasons it was so successful. And um, a few months after the event, I reached back out actually to that friend who lent me the $84,000 
And I said, on paper, that's the worst investment you could make. I mean, I'm 27 years old at the time, quarter million dollars in debt. Don't know how I'm going to make rent. Um, this is a business idea that's only a few hours old in an industry I don't know at all. And he said something I'll never forget. He says, I wasn't investing in the business. I was investing in you. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, two things became very clear. One is you never know the value of your peer group until you really need it. And the second thing is, is when you hit rock bottom in life, and we all hit rock bottom at some point in time, you're left with two things. One is your word and the integrity of your word. Uh, and the second thing is your relationships. So never tarnish your word and always invest in your relationships. So wow. that was 2013. And uh, we ended we weren't planning to do more than one event. For me, it was just uh, while I was kind of spiraling out of control, I'm like, well, maybe I'll take on this project for the next six months. It'll keep me focused and moving forward until I find my next business. But because the first event turned out to be a success, we decided to do a second one to prove that the first one wasn't a fluke. And the second one turned out to be a success. And so we just wrapped up our fifth one in Carmel a few months ago and have uh, MMT Park City uh, in, uh, in September of 2018. Wow. Folks, that's a wrap for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> because there is so much wisdom for me that I got to enjoy just hearing that story, Jason. What an incredible story. Um, and I love something you said really early on is just when you know something to be true for you, you can't help but to follow it immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, that reminds me, Hal and I, I think the episode we just released last week that he and I recorded last week, one of the things we were talking about is the whole idea of when you figure out what you value, how do you quickly align what you're doing with what you value? And to me, that's an example of that. And so I love hearing you say that, that there's a combination that I'm sensing of there's got to be some sort of entrepreneurial logic and intuition. And that's really cool to hear. I, I would love to know, just going back to these dinners... Because I've heard that what you did at these dinners and, and even through the story you just told that it was these dinners and the investment into relationships that was so central to your ability to dig yourself out of a tough place. Tell us a little bit about the idea behind these dinners, maybe even like the first one and how did that go or any other interesting stories from these? Yeah, so... I mean, I think it's important to note, like, you know, Forbes has called me one of the top networkers to watch. And I have all these accolades when it comes to business relationships and networking and being a super connector and all this kind of stuff. Um, I got married in 2013, in September of 2013. Uh, A month or two prior, I had a bachelor party and I had two people show up. I had my brother and my brother-in-law. I knew nobody at the time. So all the relationships in my life have all been in the last few short years. Um, so when I started these dinners, I didn't know anybody to invite, uh, really. Everybody was who ended up coming were people. I, that was the first time I met them was at the dinner itself. So basically what I did to kind of start from scratch was I, uh, in Canada, we have something called Profit Magazine, which is very similar to Inc. Magazine. Mm-hmm. where they list out like the top 500 businesses or 5,000 businesses. And uh, again, we do top 500 because it's not, not enough for a top 5,000. <laughs> but uh, ended up uh, finding all these kind of big entrepreneurs locally, uh, reached out to them cold and said, hey, I'm doing a, a dinner for other Profit Magazine alumni. Um, it's on XYZ date. If you'd like to join us, please let me know. Um, I probably got a 5% response rate at best. Um, so it required me to knock on a lot of doors. Uh, but ultimately, I got the, the, the eight people, I guess, for the dinner. 
And again, the first one I did, I almost canceled two hours prior because I was like, all those, the, the, the fear that, that comes from doing something new um, were kind of bubbling up. But I just, from an integrity perspective, couldn't cancel because I knew people were already on their way. And um, yeah, we did the first dinner. I had people from various different industries there from everything from like technology and wearable technology to some guy who owned a moving company. Um, and I was yeah, terrified throughout the dinner. I, I, I played most of most of the dinner as a facilitator, ensuring that everybody was involved in conversation. Nobody was left out, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, conversation just flowed. I mean, one of the, the principles I have is that if you, you curate these dinners, the, the, the heavy lifting happens in advance. If you do the right prep work and you put the right people together, I mean, it's hands off. You just really start the dinner and then it just goes. Um, and one of the things I, I, I realized is like the stronger the uncommon commonality amongst people, the stronger the bond. So mm-hmm. in case it was eight entrepreneurs at a dinner table. Um, so they, you know, I, I realized that uh, no matter what industry you're in, we all face similar pains and, and similar obstacles as entrepreneurs and oftentimes have similar goals. Um, so let's say statistically, I know like if you and I were walking down the street in Columbus, Ohio, uh, statistically 3% of people that you meet on the street would be entrepreneurs. So if you meet a thousand people, 30 of them would be entrepreneurs. So if you put those people together for, for a dinner, that's a really uh, unique opportunity, unique experience. And there, there's a very good chance that they're going to really hit it off. Um, however, if you have a seven figure business, let's say that represents 4% of that 3%. So if you do dinner just for seven figure entrepreneurs, um, they're most likely going to go deeper um, in that setting than they would um, in, in, in a more kind of broad setting, so to speak. Because again, they have the same fears, the same desires, oftentimes the same goals, same pain points, same obstacles. Um, and so that philosophy around uncommon commonalities goes outside of, of business. I mean, it could be that you've, you have a group of people that formerly served in the military or female entrepreneurs or mom entrepreneurs or um, single moms or whatever the case may be. So mm-hmm. the stronger the uncommon commonality, the stronger the bond. And I kind of realized that around the first dinner. Um, and that's been one of the, I guess, things I've leveraged ever since. And I, I mean, to date, I've easily hosted thousands of entrepreneurs at these dinners, including Mastermind Talks. I mean, I'm doing a dinner next week where I'm buying out a restaurant. We have 90 entrepreneurs for that one. So yeah, I still continue to do the dinners to this day. Yeah, that's cool. And I, I got a couple of questions I, I want to ask about the idea of being a connector and some of the lessons you've learned about that. Before I get to my questions, I do want to honor someone who just threw one out in the live chat. Paul Joy just asked, did you ever record any of the conversations at any of those dinners or capture anything that went on there in any way? No. Um, yeah. Only reason is because I want to create an environment where people feel safe and comfortable yep. um, and where they can feel... I mean, really the deeper people are willing to go from a vulnerability perspective, the deeper those set of relationships will be. And I know you understand this and know this very well, probably much yeah. better than I do. Um, so because of that, we, we try to create environments where this confidentiality, like once we get there, I set confidentiality saying like, whatever said in this room stays in this room. That's really, really important. So with that said, we don't record any of the conversations. There is actually somebody I know, I think in Seattle that does dinners and records them. And like, they'll actually have like almost like a video crew type thing. Um, yeah. And they'll, they'll share, I forget what the name of the dinner, dinners are. And they do it in that setting. But for me, um, I, all I care about really at that point in time is just the eight people in the room. I could care less about anybody outside of that room. I'm there to be of service to them. 
That makes sense. Yeah. And thank you, Paul, for posting a question in the chat. So Jason, a couple of things that I was thinking about as you've been sharing about these stories is for anyone who's listening at any stage as an entrepreneur, I'm wondering what you've learned about the value of just being a connector. I remember the time for me when this concept of being a connector became most vivid. I think it was Malcolm Gladwell. I think in his book, The Tipping Point, he talked about how connectors have this incredible value that they create in society. So that's part one of my question. And the second part, and you don't even have to answer both. You pick either one if you want. So (laughs) one is like, what is the potential, right? The value for anybody just to become a connector alone as a value creation. And what have you learned about that? And I guess really the other question I'm getting to is what are just some of the tactical lessons you have learned about connecting with people. If someone's listening and they already buy in or they see a vision for why being a connector in their community or in their ecosystem makes sense, there are some practical things you've learned about how you actually get somebody to see the value in coming to a dinner, if that's what it is, or a meeting, if that's what it is. So any way you want to approach either of those questions. Yeah. So I mean, the the thing is, so for example, for Mastermind Talks, it's, it's a premium event. Um, and I hate positioning it as an event because it's, we definitely have evolved much more into a community. Um, you know, two years ago, we sold out that event, uh, four months in, in advance without announcing any speakers or any agenda. And that's when it really clicked to me that like the reason people are coming are really because of the relationships and nothing else. They could care less about the speakers. They're coming for the relationships. Yeah. Um, that said though, like our philosophy is that for those who are the right fit, no explanation is necessary. And for those who are not the right fit, no explanation will do. So um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who don't see value in relationships and I'm, I'm not there to convert them because it's an uphill battle. <laughs> there's a lot of people who do see the value of relationships and I want to, you know, support those people, invest in those people. Um, to me, it's one of those things. Oftentimes you can't, people don't invest in relationships because they can't peg an ROI to them oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, as Steve Jobs says, you, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You just need to trust that they'll somehow connect. And, you know, having invested in, having invested in relationships pretty extensively for the last couple of years, I can now look back on my trajectory and connect the dots looking backwards. And because of that, that's why I can confidently be in a position where I, you can take my house, you can take my bank accounts, you can take everything. As long as I have relationships, I'm good. I'm set. Um, so that's why relationships are, are so uh, kind of important to me. So it definitely, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, I, uh, from the bandwidth perspective, I don't try to convert people who don't believe in the importance of relationships because I'm sure they'll, they'll, they'll come across, they'll, they'll understand the importance of it one day. And, and when that happens, then I'll still, uh, I'll still, still be around. So the other question, it was how to be a connector ultimately. Was that? But yeah, I'm just thinking if somebody is listening, thinking, you know, I love the idea of being a connector, any sort of practical skill sets, capabilities, or even just habits, behaviors, things to do to be good at connecting others with each other. I'm just curious, anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is a deep desire, like a deep caring for others. Um, if you don't have a deep caring for others, there, I mean, all the tools and tactics and strategies in the world won't help you. Um, the only reason, yeah, I've had any success in the relationship realm is because I, I deeply care about where people are, where they want to go. I want to remove those obstacles for them ultimately. So 
because I know so many people in our community and outside of our community, I try to really dig into, again, where they are, where they want to go and, and try to figure out ways that can kind of support them um, yeah. and then make connections based off that. So one of the go-to questions I use, which which can be helpful to some, because sometimes when you meet people, they're like, oh, hey, what are some of your goals for the next year or mm-hmm. or those kind of things? And sometimes the quality of your questions will determine the quality of your answers. So I've really massaged this question um, and actually came to me through a good friend of mine, Clay Bear, which is, if we were to meet a year from today with a bottle of champagne, what are we celebrating? Mm-hmm. And that oftentimes gives you, like, people love that that question, and oftentimes just really gives you great answers. Um, and once they'll give me an answer, like, they'll say, you know, I'm coming out with a book, and I'll be like, well, what's what's the desire behind the book, or what's the desired outcome? And they'll say, I want to hit, let's say, New York Times. And I'll say, in order for your book to hit New York Times, what is something that you need to solve or overcome? And that's a much better way, a much more effective way than saying, hey, what are some challenges you're facing right now? Because nobody wants to admit the challenges. And sometimes we have a hard time kind of pinpointing them. So positioning it as such, that we're like, what are some things that you're, you're, you're going to overcome anyways, but that maybe I can potentially help you with? Um, and then once you know where their goals are and what's keeping them from achieving them or what are some obstacles along the way, then you can come in and support them uh, and make a connection. And it's crystal clear. Um, so deep caring for others. And those two questions I use to really get a good understanding of where they are, where they want to go and how I can help them. Um, and then once you have that and you have that with a couple hundred people and also the other thing I look for, so I'm always trying to know what people are, again, are, are where they're going, what they're struggling with, and also what they're really good at. Mm, because conversely, yes. often somebody else who has, you know, this is our pain point, um, and then I can be like, oh, by the way, I have somebody to connect you with. So I'm not only trying to solve their problems, I'm also trying to find what they're great at so they can solve other people's problems. Yeah. You know, it's funny you bring that up. That's uh, next week, I'm going to be at the GoBundance event in Steamboat Springs. And and that's one of the ways that we have the guys connecting with each other in the first evening is they're going to be sharing with each other stories or examples from their lives or their businesses when they were at their best. And the instruction is to pick a story that reveals two or three of their best strengths. Because the idea is in a mastermind, you know, the greatest asset we have in the room is the potential configuration of all the unique strengths in the room. And it can be easy to come in and think, well, I just want to tell people what my problem is. Yeah. But if you think about the inverse, because you can do that and... If we show up and we all say, well, here's what we're good at, there's an argument that configuring strengths is a really efficient... I think Peter Drucker said that's the ultimate task of leadership is to align the strengths of a system so much so that the weaknesses are irrelevant. So you've given me my next question, which is obvious, which is a year from now, if you and I were (laughs) sitting down... (laughs) Drinking a bottle of champagne, and this is real, like this could happen, and if we were... What might you be celebrating? Honestly, well, I guess two things. I mean, there's there's one thing that's kind of my champagne moment every year, which is to um, increase the quality of the experience at our next Mastermind Talks event. Um, it is a constant kind of hamster wheel of every time you raise the bar, it becomes just expected the following year. So how does one raise that bar year over year? And I rack my brain and it keeps me up, you know, at night trying to figure out how I'm going to do that. 
Um, thankfully, every year the event has gotten significant, not significantly better, but incrementally better. Uh, our event two years ago, the NPS score or approval rating was 9.73 out of 10. Our last event was 9.90 out of 10. So you look at it from that perspective, you're like, what are we going to do next year to raise the bar? So that is, uh, that is always my, my biggest challenge. Um, and definitely, you know, if I'm able to succeed, the biggest thing I'll be celebrating. Um, and also I've released a, a podcast a few months ago, which I'm for the first time I'm putting work out there that I'm actually really, I'm putting a lot of effort into it and I'm really proud of, of the outcome. Um, and the feedback's been fantastic. So Tell us about it's, that. It's called community made, right? Yeah. So staying consistent with that would be like a champagne moment for me because uh, it's easy to put that on the back burner. It's, it's difficult work. Just like writing a book, you have imposter syndrome and, and, you know, you doubt your, the value and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, if I'm able to stick on track with that for the next year, that's a big win as well. Um, but yeah, so the podcast is called community made, um, basically challenges the notion that there's, there's no such thing as self-made. Nobody does it alone. Um, and the podcast is broken up into seasons. So season one is all about scale, uh, where I kind of share some of my thoughts on, on the topic. So I, I shared, you know, the importance of questioning the notion of scale, because not too many people do that. And I do that over a few solo episodes. And then I bring on guests to who have different points of view, because a lot of times in the expert space or the thought leadership space, people speak in absolutes. Like, this is the way you should do this. Um, when there's, there's a thousand ways you can, you can do it. There's no right or wrong answer per se. So I talk about my version of scale and um, what I kind of look for. And then I have Gary Vaynerchuk, who's completely different. Uh, you know, he's going from 600 employees to a thousand by the end of the year. So he'll hire anybody with a heartbeat. So he's a very different perspective. Uh, and then I just, so I bring on different guests like that. Um, and season two is all about business relationships. Um, so how to grow, how to nurture and how to amplify, uh, your relationships. So everything from how to network at events to first impressions, building rapport, managing, um, your, your network, what that looks like, how to let people go, uh, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, that's what I'm working on, Ron, right now is season two. That's really cool. And we'll make sure we link in the show notes so anyone listening so everyone can go find all this. Jason, uh, so I'd love to know from your first season on scale, I'm just curious, what might be an example of, uh, either a, one of your beliefs or perspectives around scale and or anything interesting or surprising or alternative perspectives that emerged in that season around that topic of scale? Yeah. I mean, the one thing I always try to do is I'm not afraid to expose my ignorance uh, on some level. So like, for example, um, my viewpoint at the beginning of the season was um, kind of a play on Gandhi's quote that there's more to life than increasing its speed. And oftentimes we, you know, in the business arena, um, people scale without ever questioning it. It's all about more revenue, more employees, bigger offices, all this kind of stuff. When they're they're kind of unclear on what their desired end goal is, and I've seen it time and time again, where they build these businesses to be, you know, huge, and their goal is to get this big exit. They get that big exit, and they're like, now what? And they realize, you know, they they had the wrong goal. They want to climb the mountain. They got to the top of that said mountain, and they're like, shoot, that was the wrong mountain. So basically challenging the, the notion of, of challenging your goals, asking why and getting really deep and, and having a strong sense of kind of self-awareness um, and just challenging the, the whole notion of scale, scale. But I brought on a guest actually towards the end of the season who um, had a different, 
viewpoint. Uh, he's built a, a one of his first businesses. He he built it from zero to two billion dollars a year in annual sales from like the back of his car. And he loves big business because to him, you know, if his current business now does four hundred million dollars a year, if he increases profits by one percent, you know, that's four million dollars. If he increases uh, decreases expenses by 2%, that's $8 million. So, um, those like there's, it's big numbers. And for him, the desire to build big business, he's invested in over 150 companies. How he got on my radar was because he's super subtle. Like the guy drives like a Toyota Prius. He eats lunch, lunch with his employees in like the factory. Um, but the guy's very well off financially. And his, his goal or his focus is that the more money he makes, the more impact he can make. Um, and the, how I came across him was there was an article done on him that he spent a million and a half of his own money um, bringing or sponsoring those 50 Syrian refugee families, so over 200 Syrian refugees, bringing them to Canada, housing them getting them all set up, hiring them for his, like and giving them like language training, all that kind of stuff, spent a million and a half dollars of his own money without telling anybody in his company and without even telling his wife. Um, wow. So to me, like he uses scale, like scale for him is he can make that impact. And that really kind of shifted uh, my viewpoint a little bit. So that was kind of, you know, some things from season one. Wow. That's cool. Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. I'm going to go back a couple minutes. You shared that a year from now, one of your other celebrations would be raising the bar for your event. I want to share a personal experience that I've had, and I'd love just your thoughts or your reaction to this. I have shared that, um, I'll call it a fear or a concern or a question, right? Which is when I go out and I deliver my best, whatever that means, how on earth is better going to show up? And uh, one of the things that I've done personally to try and tackle that concern or question is to remember to have faith in the idea that whatever happens will ultimately be a reflection of me. And if I decide that the thing I can control is my own personal continuous evolution, then that's the best thing I can do to know with any certainty that the event will evolve is, hey, if I'm going to put... Like I was talking to you before we pushed record, I got something in a month that I realized... I have to just decide that I'm going to grow so much between now and then that it will work. I'd be curious what your experience has been of how that need to keep growing what you're delivering for your community has affected you. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why we do only one event a year. I mean, we have the demand to do an event every three months, um, but I, I don't feel like I can significantly raise the bar in three months. Um, but to me, similar to what you said, like the event is a reflection of me. Um, and off, oftentimes how the event goes, has gotten better is, is me evolving as, as, as a, as a adult, as a father, as a husband, as a, you know, as a peer in those kind of things. Um, and I like one of the things I, I it, it keeps me up at night, but it's, it's not, it's stressful. It's, but it's almost, it's like eustress, right? It's a useful stress. It kind of forces me to grow. It forces me uh, to do things because the minute I get complacent, it's easy to get to, you know, be successful. It's really hard to stay on top, obviously. And that's one of my biggest fears is that um, I become complacent um, because when you get successful, it's, it's, um, it's easy to be arrogant. It's easy to get kind of fat on some level and, and sit on your, 
your successes. Um, and but what keeps me up at night is that, you know, I'm worried that people say, oh, last year was better. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the thing is, like with me, I'm very blessed. We have 150 people in mastermind talks. I'd easily have 135 of those people to my wedding. I mean, these are my favorite people. These are not just clients. These are people I vacation with. These are people I, you know, spend the majority. I drove seven hours actually last on the weekend to Columbus, Ohio with my family to spend the weekend with another family who, you know, the guy comes to mastermind talks. He's one of my favorite people. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of that pressure is, is, is all is internal and I, I put it on myself. Um, but it forces me to grow. It forces me to, to be the best I can be. Um, so it, it, it plays, it plays, it, there's a positive and a negative to it on some level. Tell us about that word that you just used, you stress. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, stress is negative, obviously, um, and can kind of keep you down and those kind of things. You stress uh, is basically like a positive stress. It's a stress oftentimes that you, you put on yourself that forces you uh, to work outside of your comfort zone. Um, and for me, you know, anytime how I grew so quickly in my last business was I kept on throwing these quote unquote Hail Marys. I throw these long shots that I knew if I, for example, uh, just a maybe this, this will paint a better picture. We were in the ticketing space. I put a quarter million dollars or half a million dollars a month on a credit card with zero dollars in my bank account. And that credit card needed to be paid back in 30 days. Uh, and I knew that every time I did it, it was uncomfortable as sin, but I'd find a way to pay it off that credit card. And every month we just kept on doing that and kept on doing that. And I realized that when I was kind of spiraling out of control and didn't know what I was going to do next. I stopped taking those chances. I stopped, um, you know, putting my back against the wall, uh, so to speak. And that's ultimately what I did with the $84,000 worth of books. Um, I didn't know how I was going to come up with the money, but I knew once I committed to Tim that I was going to come up with that money in the next 72 hours, um, I'd find a way. So, so that's useless. Ultimately, it's basically like it's it's you going to Facebook and saying, you know, I want to lose ten pounds. Here's a picture of me with my shirt off, and it's 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 putting it out there to the world and, and being accountable, so to speak. Um, so it's a positive stress. Um, it's much easier to you know choose comfort over courage, I guess you could say, as Brene Brown would say. Um, but uh, but yeah, useless has been super impactful for me over the years. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Somebody first pointed that word out to me, EU stress. It's a real word. And what I really admire about you, Jason, and what you just shared in this example in the lesson is that what you're pointing out to us is that it really is not about the risk or the circumstance, but how you're choosing to interpret it. There's some sort of choice to interpret it in a way where it's creating a positive energy. I had a good friend who said to me a long time ago, and I'm going to, as soon as I say that, am I going to remember her quote? The only yeah. difference between uh, fear and excitement is whether or not we're breathing. And it reminds me that internally, we can quickly shift how we receive or view or react or respond to what's going on. So I love that every one of your stories is revealing that quality within you, that mm-hmm. something that somebody could have interpreted in a way that said, this is the end. This isn't going to work. I'm going to choose to shut down or not knowing I'm choosing. I'm just going to shut down. But you're actually giving a meaning or making it a game or interpreting it in some way where you're actually facing it productively. That's what it sounds like to me. I don't know. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, that's, that's something I remember even in like my darkest days and I had some really dark days when um, I kind of hit rock bottom. I remember like whenever something really, really bad happened to me, the first thing that would come out of my mouth is watch, like watch me bounce back, like whatever power there is up there, like mm. watch. Um, and I don't know where that came from. I don't know how kind of I was programmed as a child because nobody else in my family is super driven, super A type, super entrepreneurial. But for some reason, whenever I, the few times where I was like, you know, people are like, you, you must be crushed right now. Uh, although I, I've had good days, I've had bad days. Uh, I've always kind of thought of just that one word. Um, and like almost like I was trying to show to myself or show to the world or show to the higher power um, that uh, I'll be just fine. That's awesome. That's really cool. So Jason, as we get towards a close here, I would love to know, as you think about our audience and their endeavors to achieve their goals, we're probably going to release this sometime sooner than later. So we're in the New Year's resolution season. If you had any parting words or anything else you wanted to add, my final question would be, is there anything else? Uh... Not necessarily. I mean, I, I touched, I guess, on the, the, to me, like the importance of questioning goals since we are on the, 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 the topic of New Year's resolutions or, or around that uh, time period. Um, I think it's really important to question goals. Um, you know, and I'll give you an, a, a reason why. Yeah, um, yeah. A story as to why. Yeah. So this, all this stuff was happening to me. And I don't share this story often, but it'll really illustrate the point. When all this stuff was happening to me, I realized I was making 22 times the national average income. And, you know, I built a business I hated and all that kind of stuff. What really, really uh, tipped the scale or the straw that broke the camel's back was I was driving my car one day with no music going on in the car. Nothing. I wasn't thinking about anything in particular. And I pulled up at a, at a set of lights and I was sitting there. And I remember looking at the rear view mirror. And I kind of locked eyes with myself. And I remember hearing a voice saying, your dad never said he was proud of you. And I broke mm. into tears. And I was like, where the hell is this coming from? I don't feel like I have a bad relationship with my dad at all or any of that kind of stuff. And after sitting with it, I came to realize that what drove me so hard to be successful in business and to, to stand out and all that kind of stuff uh, was the one day, you know, the fact that he would maybe say he's proud of me and also the ability for me to throw back in his face and say, I told you so. Uh, and it's a story I share because a lot of people, whether consciously or unconsciously, are kind of driven by the same things, um, whether it's the acceptance of, of a certain individual or, again, that the, they're yearning for somebody's love or their pride or, or those kind of things. So that's why I really say question your goals because I've, I've come to realize so many times I set a goal and the more I ask why and the more I sit with it, uh, I do it for ego purposes or to prove somebody wrong or those kind of things. Those are the goals that when you achieve them, you realize they, they they were not the right goals in the first place. And you feel like you wasted a lot of time pursuing, you know, goals that weren't necessarily yours. Yeah. You know, when I hear that, what I hear is to also, and this is just me reinterpreting, is to question what is motivating me to achieve mm -hmm. my goals? What are my motives? What are my underlying motivations? There was a thread in one of our communities a couple of days ago where a number of folks had taken the Barrett Values Assessment. And the Barrett Values Assessment is a very revealing assessment tool. And I think it might be free. Anyone could go take it right now where it helps you to see what kind of motivations are driving what it is that we're doing. Is it more egocentric or is it actually more about service to humanity or others? 
And so that's part of what I hear is you discovered that maybe what was motivating you, uh, well, you became aware of that. All right. So now that gives me my real last question. Uh, (laughs) So this is my real last question. If you look way ahead, this is beyond next year's bottle of champagne. This is like 20 years from now or 40 years from now or 150 years because we found some way to live forever through vegetables or something. Tell me uh, what images of the future, whether it's through some future iteration of your current business or some other business, what kind of images from the future, if you look way ahead or what kind of thoughts or reflections when you look towards what would one day be the end of Jason Gaynard uh, would give you the greatest sense of pride and fulfillment and meaning if you were looking way back on your life? What kinds of things would give you the greatest sense of purpose? Um, That I was able to hold a space or create a space where people truly felt like they could be themselves and that they could belong. Mm. Um, Ultimately, that's what I do in the work I do right now. But I, I would be naive to say I'll be doing this for the rest of my life. For me, like oftentimes people are like, they're trying to figure out what they're passionate about. And this big, it's this big question. And for me, it's almost like an onion and you're peeling off the layers mm-hmm. of the onion. I've never been closer to the center of that onion, but I'm 32 years old. And I'd be ignorant to say like, Oh, this, this is what I was put on the planet to do in this form. Um, so with that said, I mean, I will continue on this path of creating community and creating these, these vehicles for, for people again, to, to ultimately be themselves and have this sense of belonging because social isolation is a huge problem in today's society. It's showing up in mental health studies. It's showing up in uh, physical health studies, longevity studies, you know, the, the rise of suicide rates amongst teens and all this kind of stuff. Um, so ultimately my body of work will, I will, will basically on some small sliver, um, make an impact in that space. That's awesome. Jason, thanks for sharing that, man. That's super inspiring. And on behalf of our listeners, speaking for them, you know, to hear that you're out there doing what you're doing and that that's what's driving you, that creates, I think, a sense of hope. Because if you inspire us to create space like that for others, that creates a really cool ripple. I love that, man. That's really cool. Jason, this has been awesome. For people to find you, to connect with you, where, where would you like them to find you? Yeah, so I'm kind of like an old man on social media. Uh, so I'm not on Snapchat or anything like that, but I am on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, and Facebook. So at Jason Gaynard, J-A-Y-S-O-N-G-A-I-G-N-A-R-D. Uh, and if you're interested to hear, I guess, more about my thoughts or season one of the podcast on scale or season two about business relationships, uh, that's communitymade.com. Communitymade.com. Awesome. Jason, thanks, buddy. We'll see you again. Talk to you real soon. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. 